Swag fans, what's up? What's going down? This is another episode of the Yardball Podcast. And before we get started, something was said on the last episode, and I want to sound an apology. On the last episode, during the open, I misspoke. When I was talking about the people hating on Alabama and them, I did make it seem like I was talking about Alcorn State fans at large. That's not the case. I was really only trying to refer to Alcorn State fans that are detracting from Alabama A&M success. That being said, I do understand that the majority of Alcorn State fans are not haters, detractors, whatever you want to call them. I understand that they're just like a lot of the SWAC fans, that they are supportive of A&M success. And I just want to put that out there. Like, I do recognize that. I'm a human. I make mistakes, and I can admit it. This is the Yard Ball Podcast, and I'm your host, Lamar K. Jackson. Please say the K. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Please Say the K. Follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Yard Ball Podcast. Whatever service you're hearing us on, please like, follow, subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend to tell a friend, find someone you know, get them to find someone they know, and get them to find someone they owe, and put them onto the fastest growing black college football podcast. I'm joined by my co-hosts that are respected, connected, and will never leave your football intellect feeling neglected, and that is... I'm Tremel Jeffers, a.k.a. The Cheesehead, and you can follow me on Instagram at pick underscore six, and you can follow me on Twitter at trap underscore mail. And I'm Jamil Matthews, and you can follow me at Jamil Matthews on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I'm excited about the show today, guys. Uh, getting to debate with the, with you guys is always good. Um, you guys are really intelligent. I respect your perspectives. Um, I really like we know the information you guys bring and we definitely strive to give our audience all facets of a quality podcast interviews like we're going to have today information debate and entertainment so with that being said we're going to talk about the things that happened in our lives recently before we even get to the show we've there's a couple guys in this podcast had a pretty solid weekend so jamel let's start with you man how was your weekend oh hey coach you're never gonna get no no excuse out of me. Everything was perfect. Went to work, came home, Saturday and Sunday, just chill. All right, all right. Cheesehead, what happened, man? What, what happened with you this weekend, man? My weekend was fantastic. I graduated from Texas Southern University. Got in four years, four years out. So I'm excited what this next journey is going to bring. And I'm just happy to be finished now. Yeah, I, I think I can understand what that's like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I probably can understand because I too graduated from the illustrious Texas Southern University this past weekend. Um, for me, it wasn't four years in, four years out. I originally started going to college when I got the Navy out in California. And then uh, I moved to Texas and I did one more semester of community college. And then I transferred into Texas Southern two years ago. Um, so it was definitely a journey. Uh, I loved every second of it, man, just being able to be a student and a coach at the same time, given I, I didn't have a lot of free time, uh, but it was all worth it, man. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Oh, yeah. And uh, something else I did this weekend, man. I got down on one knee and I asked my woman that I've been with for four years to be my bride and she agreed. So that was good. And so, yeah, big weekend, man. I graduated in more ways than one. That's what I've been telling people. All right, guys, so lately around college football, but definitely localizing it to HBCU football, and definitely it got started out with SWAC football, is the conversation, debate, argument, whatever you want to call it, of hiring head coaches and whether or not you should go the primetime route or you should go that traditional route. 
Now, I will definitely admit to my bias, being a guy that was grinding and working his way from the ground up, literally started out in the equipment room, ended up coaching running backs. I definitely am going to lean towards a traditional coach. Being I only and I worked only with traditional coaches, guys that had already been somewhere as a volunteer, graduate assistant, assistant coach, high school coach, what have you. And I think of something I, that has always kind of been in the, I guess you could say, the black atmosphere, the black culture atmosphere for a long time, and that is rappers becoming actors. Um, Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, it was a long time ago. It was almost 20 years ago when he first said it. He talked about how he's hesitant to work with rappers that have become actors. Now, if you look in his history, he's worked with a few rappers. The rappers he tends to work with, however, are rappers that have actually worked at, you know, getting their acting skills up. So he's not like he's just pulling a guy that just dropped a single, you know what I'm saying, last year for the first time. Like Samuel Jackson is not going to appear in a movie with Rod Wave. You know what I'm saying? Not to say Rod Wave kind of last year. I think he's been in the game a few years. But all that being said, he's a very recent rapper. He's got no acting experience. So you probably won't see Samuel Jackson in a movie with a guy like that. But you will likely see Samuel Jackson in a movie with LL Cool J, 50 Cent, Queen Latifah, right? Right. Um, and, that's, and that's just how I feel about it. And there's different reasons for that. But, you know, I'll get into that as we keep discussing it. What do you guys think? Uh, me, I'm the, the complete opposite. I got to go with the with the big names, specifically speaking for Deion Sanders. One, I knew Deion Sanders because I grew up in Dallas. He had a lot of football teams out there in Dallas. We were little kids growing up in elementary. The team you wanted to play for was the Dallas Troop. Deion Sanders was the head coach for that team. He also coached at a school that he created out there in Dallas, Prime Prep. He was a coach out there. Then he also coached. His son's high school, Trinity High School, five minutes down the street from me. So he got great coaching experience. Everybody in the Dallas area knows him. Everybody in the Dallas area wants to play for him. And I think that could transition on the collegiate level. Like I said, he's got the experience. Another reason, the media and the buzz that he will generate. I mean, this guy will get you all the publicity in the world. We talk about how we want this conference to get more publicity and how we want more fans, and how we want more TV time. I think hiring Deion Sanders gets you that. It, it builds your program. It boosts your program. And with the revenue, he gives you more revenue. He generates more revenue. He's an NFL Hall of Famer. He's got experience playing the game. He's got knowledge playing the game. And he loves the game. He's very passionate about football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with nothing you said, uh, but – that's kind of just where I, I mean, I'm not going to disagree directly, should I say. What I will say is that Dion's got the experience as a high school coach, right? Dion's mm-hmm. most recent job was being an offensive coordinator. And I don't know of another situation where a guy went from coordinator at the high school level, mind you, at a private school that's pretty much just cherry picking players, and went from high school coordinator to division one head coach. Every like again, I don't disagree with anything you said directly. Like I he has been great for marketing Jackson State and the SWAC as well and black college football as a whole. And he's very he was obviously a very talented player. I think I told you all before, he's my favorite player of all time. But you like I said, I'll get into more of that anyways. What do you think, Jamil? Uh, I agree with Jamil. I'm gonna take the Dion route. The the thing that I want to point out in this conversation is I feel like when you go to DN route and you bring somebody in like that, 
you're nearing the curve that we've been trying to do for years, like bringing four-star, five-star, and even three-star recruits to these white teams. Now, think about it, Coach. You 18, you trying to decide what college you're going to. You're sitting in your room. You hear somebody ring the doorbell. It's Deion Sanders. Are you going to say no to Deion Sanders well, by coming to your school? Well, I mean, I, I definitely won't because, again, my favorite player. So if I'm answering the door, I know you asked me about putting myself in the shoes of an 18-year-old, but I'm going to per se it's my son. I'm going to open the door, and I'm probably going to be way more excited than my son is. Let's be honest. You're like, outside of Texas kids, there is not this huge connection with kids born in 2001, 2002, and 2003 to Deion Sanders. Because Dion was almost retired at that point. If not retired, I can't remember the exact year he stopped playing. But the recruiting, more than anything, I think can definitely come from that fanfare of it all because kids are seeing how their parents are reacting to this. They're seeing how the Black community is reacting to this. The one thing I'll say about the four- and five-star recruiting, and I would love to hear what Dion's take on this is. I would love to hear his answer. What does he do when he sits down with that four- or five-star kid that kid has got the offer from Alabama. He's got the offer from Texas A&M. He's got the offer from Oklahoma. What does he do when he sits down with that kid and that kid looks him in his eyes and says, well, why didn't you go to an HBCU? Why didn't you play at Jackson State? Why didn't you play at FAMU? I would really like to know how. I'm sure he's got a way of handling that answer that he's rehearsed and looked in the mirror and repeated a thousand times. But I would just be really interested on how he handles that, because I think that's where, in a way, you can definitely get hurt in recruiting. Obviously, I'm not naive to what's been going on in recruiting. He has been able to rack up three, four star player, three and four star players. I think a five star here and there has jumped in the boat, too. But, you know, how quickly does that wear off? Because what's going to happen is these three, four and five star kids, they go to all these camps from the time they're 15, 16 years old. All their friends now with social media, all their friends on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok are all going still to SEC, ACC, and Big 12, Big 10 schools. How long can Jackson State withstand? You, know, you kind of think about that movie 300, right? Like HBCU football right now is a 300, and they're just trying to hold the line against this 10,000-plus-man Persian army. Can you hold the line long enough to win a battle? And that's what I worry about is that, like I said, with social media, when all these kids that they have friends with that are at LSU, that are at Auburn, when these kids are showing you how they can go into a 24-7 cafeteria and they can have steak three times a day and they lift in world-class, state-of-the-art facilities and they get all types of rehabilitative care. You know, when you're done working out, that's one thing, but then you eat a great meal and then you get to go get treatment. You know, as far as, you know, some schools have to do treatment hours. Well, at the bigger programs, there are no real treatment hours. I mean, you just tell the guy when you want to come in and there's always a physician in there, a sports medicine person in there, some trainers, students in there. Everybody's there helping you out to work on your body. So I just think it's one of the things that, and I hope it doesn't happen, but it looks like one of those things in my mind that's going to hold for a year or two. But over time, the law of averages will start to weigh out. Yeah, like you said, I think it'll take maybe a year or two for all that to come into play because that is the plan for Deion Sanders. He did come in and say he's trying to change the facility. He's trying to change the meal plans. He's trying to come in. He's trying to make things better and get on that, on those power five levels, the facilities to get on the power five level pretty much. Okay. But he's not even the first one to have that conversation. Like at Texas Southern, Clarence McKinney did like seven or eight years at Texas A&M. And then he was at Arizona before he took the job at Texas Southern. I mean, the, the man, I've heard him have the exact same talks 
with us as a staff where he's like, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do that. But funding does become an issue. Now, given I think the real advantage Dion has there is that, and I don't know exactly what the rules for the NCAA are, but Dion could definitely just put up a million dollars of his own money. And like I said, I know that a lot of coaches typically don't have that kind of a bankroll sitting in the pocket, but the problem that we're describing you and I both, Tramiel, I think is actually one that Dion can fix himself. So maybe that's how I can get around that. Uh, what do you think, Jamal? I seen it up close in person with my brother when he was doing his recruiting with various teams when he was coming out of high school. I want to paint a picture for you. A LSU, a Texas Tech, and then you got a U of H. Or mm-hmm. let's just say a Jackson State. All right. LSU and Texas Tech, you playing linebacker. You got two people in front of you. Well, you probably won't see the field until you're a junior, right? You got to sit there, learn, probably redshirt your freshman year. You're just, you just wasting your time. Right. Now, on the other side of things, if you had that unique of playing ability and you can come in and impact the program and just change the narrative, why wouldn't you go to Jackson State? I've seen a lot of players. They was super, super cold in high school, but they had to sit behind somebody and then when they finally got the opportunity, they didn't do what they did in high school. Yeah. It's, it's all about capitalizing on your prom. I've seen people yeah. do that countless times. Right. But, I mean, I, one thing I don't want to do, and, and I know that it's a touchy way of wording it, but the idea that, oh, if you come to HBCU Tech, if you come to HBCU State, you know, then you can play here. You know, because when you're saying that, it's almost like you're insulting the players you have at your school versus a bigger school. So, I mean, and but I get what you're saying. These kids are four and five stars for a reason. You know, but if you go to Alabama, there's four other four and five stars in your position depth chart versus you come to HBCU Tech and there's nobody on your depth chart that's as rated as high as you. It's just, a, I think it's a two-sided argument that could be made either way. Now, I think one of the important things that, make it overlook from, I guess you could say, if you're not behind the scenes, as I had the privilege of being for a few years, is the experience you gain on dealing with the players, right? When you get these traditional coaches that work their way up, whether it be through high school, going in as a GA or volunteer, um, then becoming, you know, a quality control coach, um, then becoming uh, an analyst if they have those at their schools, and then becoming a position coach, and then becoming, you know, a a co-coordinator and becoming a coordinator when really working way through the ranks, you're going to get a lot of experience on dealing with the psyche of an 18 to 22 year old young man that is full of testosterone may not be the best student in the world. And is only really in college because of his football ability. So you got to think about everything you got to balance for this kid. And you got to balance his academics, his athletics, obviously, which includes making sure he lifts weights, making sure he comes to his meetings and understands what's being taught in these meetings, making sure he's executing on the practice field, making sure he any food you can get to him, making sure he eats that. And there's something that last year I was on a Zoom call with all the coaches from all the head coaches from the SWAC. And it was hosted by Coach Zoe Carter at San Jose State. He was doing these uh, weekly, like two two or three times a week um, Zoom calls. And they were awesome, man. Uh, it coaches from literally all over the nation, high school, college, pro. Predominantly, it was minority coaches. But one week, we had a uh, HBCU call, a SWAC, HBCU call. It was SWAC NBA. 
And but I remember something that sticks in my head this day, and I hear it almost every day I wake up is Coach Hill Ely from Alabama State, or is it Ely? I think it's Ely. I don't want to, if I mispronounce it, I apologize. Um, Coach Hill Ely from Alabama State, he said, when you come to coaching black college football, this is not a career choice, this is a mission. You know, and he told the story about recruiting and all that stuff. But I, I say, let's say this. That what the situation I described of everything you have to kind of be in charge of for that 18 to 22 year old, multiply that by, you know, 1.5 because you're dealing with, you know, HBCU players. And that's kind of what Coach Hill Illy was talking about is that this is a mission. These kids need a little bit more. Then multiply that times 80 because you have 80 people on this roster. And I just think that you can get really overwhelmed really fast if you don't have the experience for it. We're looking at Dion seven months into the job, and it's been a very soft seven months because, I mean, you didn't even do a true offseason or anything. Like, he showed up, he got to practice for a couple weeks and start playing games. He still hasn't had to deal with a full campus, you know, and his players partying all the time and, you know, missing lifts and missing study hall and all this type of stuff. Anything else that comes out of that, you know, when you have to deal with guys that may drink too much or they may smoke a little bit, whatever the case may be, it was just a, a softer seven months and maybe a lot of coaches walk into a job with. Well, for that, I blame the pandemic, of course. And honestly, I think it will kind of be a little bit of the same next season. I think it'll probably take two, maybe a year and a half or two before he gets that that real coaching experience where everything is back to normal. Because I still think we'll still be in this pandemic a little while longer. Yeah, on some level. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I also think it was the pandemic. But I want to make some like make a point here with Dion stuff that we talked about previously on the other show. Wouldn't you think like even though he doesn't have like the coaching head coaching experience, wouldn't you think some of that responsibility like falls in the laps of his assistant coordinators and like the OCs, the DCs, the linebacker coach, like make these players great, make sure they're doing the right thing well, and stuff like that? Yeah, it's really going to come down to position coaches because I think it will really fall more to the hands of his assistant coaches. And I know he's hired a pretty experienced staff, which that goes to show you where Dion's mind was. Dion's a guy that played for what the highest level and he had a lot of success at that level, winning some Super Bowls. He knows that, you know, if I'm the guy that has the least experience and I definitely need to put a staff around me that's really experienced on dealing with kids at this level, because assistant coaches are going to do the lion's share of dealing with academics and discipline and all that type of stuff coordinators are probably the busiest guys on the day-to-day basis because they're the ones that really have to plan the games and win the games for you head coaches honestly do a lot of what Dion does they do the marketing they do the fundraising they do the the glad handing if you will um they shake the hands and they kiss the babies and he's always been good at that type of stuff and I guess I'm almost arguing against myself because he's really one of the best in the nation at it, FBS, FCS combined. But that being said, at some point, the head coach has to handle issues, you know, and the issue can't always be telling the player, well, pack up and go home. And the issue can't always be, oh, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it because you lose your team either way if you get too much on either side of that. Yeah, I always viewed it as, you know, I love analogy. And some retrospect, coaching is like a school. Your head coach is the principal. Your assistant coaches are like the teachers. If you have bad teachers, 
nine times out of ten, that school is going to be terrible. Your team is going to be terrible. But if you group around some good teachers, some good assistant coaches, your school is going to be good. It's going to be less for you to handle. But at the same time, you know, like you said, as a head coach, you have to take some of the responsibilities. Like when something goes wrong, just like a principal, they got to expel somebody, suspend somebody, and punish somebody. It's the same as a head coach. Sometimes you have to step in to, you know, set an example. Yeah, I, yeah, I feel you. I mean, and but that kind of translates to something that's more game specific, which is that situational awareness and decisiveness. Like, it's one thing to be a coordinator in a high school game when you have easily the most talented team on the field. Ninety nine percent of the time, you step on the field. But the SWAC is an unusually balanced conference as far as talent. I mean, and ability. You, you look at the SEC, you know that you have Alabama, LSU, Auburn, Georgia, and 10 other teams for the most uh, – Florida, excuse me. Florida definitely had a great year last year, and they look to be on the up and up, A&M. So now you have six. But you have six teams right now, and then you have eight other teams that are just on the schedule, right? And the SWAT, you have 12 teams, and any year, 10 of them are definitely going to be able to beat each other. And then between the other two remaining schools – they can still sneak in a win or two against one of those other 10 teams if those 10 teams come in lighthearted. So this is an unusually balanced conference. You're not going to have the abundance of talent most of the time, which I know this recruiting class you just hauled in says differently, but you still got to develop those guys. Those guys still have to stay around. Like I said, they start looking at their friends, Instagram and Twitter accounts. They may not stick around too much longer because their friends that are at the other schools that are recruiting those kids are going to say, Hey man, I talked to coach so-and-so and, he said, if you enter the portal, we'll grab you right now, so on and so forth. But, yeah, it's a little different being that coordinator with the stacked team in high school than it is being in a SWAT game in the fourth quarter with four and a half minutes left in the game, and you have to decide whether you want to punt or you want to go for it on fourth and four, you know, and you don't make the what whatever the correct decision is in that situation, you don't make it. And that's on one thing I will say that, Ultimately, I think you only really gain from being that experienced coach that's been on that sideline, that's seen those situations almost like that or exactly like that play out. Yeah, I mean, you make some good points, coach, but I got to stick to mine. I just feel like getting a coach at Deion Sanders level, a guy with his recognition, a guy of his status can just possibly change the program. You do have to develop those four and five star recruits that come to your school. But I just think that you can haul those guys in. I think you can develop those guys and they can come in and play immediately and they can make a big difference. But like you said, the SWAC is a, a tough conference. You know, we have Florida AM coming in now. We also have Bethune Cookman coming in now. So it makes it even more difficult. So the SWAC isn't a it's not an easy conference to win. You're gonna you're gonna have a battle every single week. There is no cupcake walks. And but it's kind of what you said, man. Like, and this is what I'll end with. In my, I guess you could say the the defense's final argument, right? With bringing a guy like Dion in or Eddie George to Tennessee State, you know, at one point there's rumors of Marshall Falk to Southern. What I really think my ultimate problem with this, not just as a former coach, but even as a fan, is that it becomes gimmicky, you know, and it's something that we're seemingly only going to be able to try to pull off at an HBCU. I don't foresee a day when Peyton Manning gets handed the Tennessee job if he's only got high school coaching experience, let alone no coaching experience. You know, I don't foresee a day when, you know, 
who who's a, another one of the greats out there? Ray Lewis goes to Miami and coach. Yeah. Like, you know, I, yeah, I don't see a day when Ray Lewis is going to be just coaching, you know, defense at Kathleen High School, which I believe that's where he went to high school in Florida. And Miami's going to say, all right, you know what? Let's bring Ray in to be our head coach. I just don't foresee that happening. Now, I know the argument will be like, well, maybe Deion can set that trend. Maybe he can. But I think, again, it's just so gimmicky that I feel like it would only be tried at the HBCU level. And I think we have to kind of do that, though. We do want to be like those power five schools. We do want the recognition and we do want the TV time and we do want the fan base that those guys have. Now, I know that's almost impossible to do, but we want to move up to the next level and get some type of recognition. So I feel like we kind of have to do that at this point. I think it just goes by trial and error, just like with a regular coach. You know, if you bring in one of these like uh, former NFL players, it's a chance that he might not be a good coach. But you got the weight on the other side. If you bring in an experienced coach, it's a chance that he might not do good. It's just trial and error. You just got to take that that chance that he might be good and he's going to bring that exposure to you. We always talk about exposure in the sweat. Think about when Dion first arrived at Jackson State, that energy, that atmosphere. When he first arrived, everybody said, oh, man, I got to go to Jackson State when they play. I got to go to Jackson State. You see all these former NFL players that play with Dion. Oh, yeah, I got to go to Jackson State when they play. Everybody was saying, well, all right, but that there's some danger in that because that means that it's not about Jackson State. It's about Dion, and it's about any coach you bring. And, I mean, you got Troy Aikman coming to the game. You got some of the ESPN guys talking about Jackson State. But, again, if they're not talking about it before Dion, then they probably won't be talking about it after Dion. And that's what my ultimate fear is with the celebrity coach hire. Now, it is, a, it is a hit or miss. It's a boomer bust. For sure. And, and that's the worst thing that could possibly happen, obviously, is that you do one of these hires and it just doesn't work out, man. So, yeah, man, that was a, definitely a good debate, man. Definitely enjoyed the debate with you guys. Y'all were really intelligent. Love the perspectives you guys bring. Jamel's always one for the analogies. I had one for you today, though, dog. Oh, yeah. You know, I love that. <laughs> yeah, man. Shout out to uh, my big uncle, Samuel Jackson. Make sure, you know, you send me a meal for shouting you out on the podcast, my man. Other than that, man, let's go ahead and get down to business and finish this thing up. All right, now we talked about Coach Prime. Now, Coach, it's your time to coach us up. So, coach us up, Coach. All right, so coaching them up, man. Uh, today, we're going to talk about what is the red zone. Now, you'll turn on a TV game and you'll hear them all the time talk about what this team does in the red zone, what this team's defense does in the red zone. And then you'll hear other phrases like every team's got something special. They call it the green zone, blue zone, what have you. So, the red zone is anything 20 yards or closer to the goal line. Now, that's kind of called the red zone because it's the most important part of the field where the offense or the defense has to get their score here or get their stop here. Obviously, the goal for the offense is always to score a touchdown and at the very least get three points out of it with the field goal. For the defense, obviously, the goal is to just get an out-and-out stop, but they'll settle for the field goal most times. So the field goal is almost like the tie in the red zone. And that's why the offense doesn't really care much for field goals. When you talk coaching, you will hear phrases like high red zone, low red zone. That just usually means from the 25 to the 30-yard line. And then low red zone is like 12-yard line to the five-yard line. And inside the five, that's typically where coaches will describe it as goal line situations. That being said, you've been coached up on the red zone. So, yeah, man, uh, with all that being said, we'll get to an interview with our guy, B.J. Jones, out of HBCU Game Day, where he is writing a contributor. 
All right, guys. So here we are with our guest today, writer contributor at HBCU Game Day, which is an outstanding outlet. If you get a chance to go check him out, please do. I do it every day myself. And that man is BJ Jones. What's going on, BJ? Man, what's going on, man? Thank you for having me. All right, all right. So yeah, man, let's get right into it, man. So now what is your take on the future of HBCU hirings as far as do we keep going for former star players or do we need to kind of lean back into season experienced coaches? Um I think that you will see a few go the uh, NFL route, uh, NFL former player route, uh, the celebrity hire, if you will. Uh, I honestly, I think the best route is to go with the experienced coaches, coaches yeah. that know the terrain. They have proven they have done this. They have a track record. Uh, doing what's, what's trendy is just that. It's trendy, but at the end of the day, uh, there's meat and potatoes. Look, if you need to raise funds, hire a fundraiser. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with bringing one of those guys in. It's almost like an ambassador of the school to get your fundraising. But you, at the end of the day, you need someone who's going to be able to coach and develop players. And I think that you run a risk by doing that, by putting them at the head coach position. Okay. okay. Yeah, and uh, I, mean, I think – FBS included, you probably got one of the best at it in Dion as far as bringing that attention and that marketing ability. Um, at the end of the day, the funds still need to get sent in. So Jackson State alumni, make sure y'all get on that. Now, something else we talked about on our last episode that I'd like to hear your opinion on. With all the talk coming from some of the people around the SWAC that are hating on AM for winning their title, uh, it's kind of a two-part question for you. Do you think all the talk against them is valid and are they your favorite for the fall? All right. So I think with the Alabama Anum argument, some arguments can be oftentimes we try to make arguments this or that. And sometimes I think that they can be this and that. Right. Um, if you look at Alabama Anum, they played four conference games, championship included. Um, so needless to say, they didn't have to run a gauntlet or anything, yeah. you know, like that. Uh, but at the end of the day, you have to give AM their credit. They dealt with difficult circumstances they've had multiple games canceled uh when they showed up they did what they needed to do so i don't think that you can hate on them for winning a championship are they the favorite in the fall no uh fam you brings a lot uh to the table fam you was arguably was arguably the best hbcu football team in 2019 they're bringing back all that talent you got all american at receiver uh you got all american at safety and marquise bell uh, the talent they have on that football team, they're bringing that back, a top 25-ranked team. Um, yeah, that, that's my favorite. But I don't think you can hate on a and As a matter of fact, I give them kudos uh, for what they did. I know people are going to look at the schedule and say, well, they only beat one team uh, you know, that had a winning record. I understand everything uh, about it, but I don't think you can disparage a and in any way. Right. No, yeah. And I mean, I think there's some other teams, like I said, I mean, Southern had a remarkable season, but, you know, they got one loss and people don't really realize statistically everything Southern did this past season. Now, I know, of course, I know, of course, with Coach Odom's leaving, it's going, you know, probably slow things down a little bit that they had going over there with all the momentum. Odom's was a great dude. Um, but I think Coach Rollins was a great hire, kind of leaning back to our last question we just had. Well, you pretty much talked about how Florida A&M is your favorite for next year in the fall season for 2021. I want to ask you about Bethune-Cookman and how do you think they will transition into the SWAT? Where do you rank them at in terms of the SWAT going into the fall next year? 
I think Bethune Cookman will fare very well. Um, Bethune Cookman hadn't lost to a SWAC team since 2006 uh, when they lost to uh, Southern. Um, so I think that they will do very well. The thing about Bethune Cookman, and this is the frustrating part if you're a Bethune Cookman fan, you don't know which Bethune Cookman football team you're going to get. You'll get Bethune Cookman to play AT hard, and then you'll get them losing to North Carolina Central. Uh, they're kind of up and down and up and down. Uh, but ask FAMU how good Bethune Cookman is. That, that is a very good football uh, program uh, that Coach Sims has going down there. It's going to be interesting to see uh, where they fall in, in you know, in the SWAC. Uh, kind of, you know, what you know where they'll they'll rank. I think that they'll uh, right now. If you go into the preseason, I think they're probably slated probably third in the Eastern Division. Uh, but we'll see how everything shakes out. All right, Mr. Jones, I had a quick question. Looking at the spring and going into the fall, what team do you think will take the biggest jump going into next season? The biggest jump? Um, I would have to say Texas Southern. Um, and, this is why. <laughs> and, and, and this is why. Texas Southern hadn't won the conference game since 2018. Yes, 2018. Uh, so, so jump is relative. True. If you look at Texas Southern, they played Prairie View very tough, had every opportunity to win that game. Controversial call is how Prairie View won that football game. Uh, they have a nice nucleus of young talent led by that quarterback freshman from Austin, Texas. I think that somewhere in the fall, Texas Southern is going to beat somebody they weren't supposed to beat. I think that Texas Southern is a candidate for that and also Mississippi Valley State. If you look at Mississippi Valley State, the games that they played, that they were able to play, we know the Jackson State game got away from them. The Alabama State game was a one-score game going into the fourth quarter before Alabama State fired, you know, scored 21 unanswered in the fourth quarter. They had Arkansas Pine Bluff on the ropes. That Mississippi Valley State football team, I think that them and Texas Southern, those two teams that people are going to scoff at and overlook, I think that during the year they're, they're going to beat some people that, that – they weren't supposed to beat. So I think that uh, those are my two football teams to look out for. Now they might not contend for a title, right? Right. But I oh, think yeah. that they're, they're <laughs> going to they're going to get somebody. I agree. But hey, great answer. Can never go wrong on this podcast in Texas Southern. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I know that's right, Coach. All right, now Coach Jones. We know next year we'll have a little bit more freedom as far as attendance in the stands with the bands traveling, everything will start getting back to normal just a little bit more. We'll have a little bit more capacity. I want to talk about the bands around the SWAC. And I have a lot of friends who go to HBCUs and they're playing bands. I have a friend who plays in the band at Jackson, Prairie View, Pine Bluff, Texas Southern. I want to know your opinion. We always debate this. We always have arguments every time we see each other. But I want to know your answer. Who is the best band in the SWAC? Right now, no, in we know what he's about to say. We know what so he's you about go, to say. You're going to put me say. right in the middle of that argument. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to put me right in the middle. Um, my two favorite bands in the SWAC are, are the Human Jukebox and Sunday Boom of the South. Uh, okay. Those are probably my two, consistently two of my favorite. Now, one of the ones that I like also is the, the Marching Storm of uh, Prairie View A&M. I think Grambling has made significant strides over the last couple of years. I think that the world fame um, is, is on an upward uh, trajectory. 
Um, I think the Alabama A&M is one of those bands that slept on, but, you know, they they are, you know, pretty good bunch over there. Allcorn is much improved. You look at Allcorn 2019 uh, compared to the early 2000s, mid-2000s, they are light years better. Um, I think there are a lot of uh, good, you know, good programs in the conference, and now you're going to bring in the Marching 100 and, and, and the pride of Bethune-Cookman. But to me, the heavyweight champions of marching bands are the human jukebox, uh, led by Kendrick Taylor. Shout out to my friend, Brother Brian Simmons. But I think it's a human jukebox. Uh, that might be biased on that, but I think there's a lot of people that agree with you on that. Okay, okay. All right, Mr. Jones. I just needed a little bit of clarification. I want to ask you, in your thoughts, what was the biggest outcome from this spring football season? That it, that it, that it was able to get done. I think even leading up to about two to three weeks before the season started, a lot of people were 50-50 at best uh, that this thing could e- even get done. I think that that's number one. I think number two is, was the not the emergence of Akil Glass, but Akil Glass was better. He was better than advertised. Uh, we knew what that young man was able to do and what his potential was. He exceeded all of that. Um, so I think him and the, and the Alabama A&M offense is definitely, um, you know, one of the stories in the conference. And, the, and then our, what, what Arkansas Pine Bluff was able to do. Uh, we saw what they were able to do in 2019, getting that first winning season since 2012, and to bring back all that talent. Um, and a lot of people ignored them to see what they were able to do. Um, I think that there was also a great storyline. And I think also with Southern, Southern was expected to do, to do a lot Lost a lot during the season. By the time we got around to Bayou Classic, Southern was at that point was down 11 or 12 starters. Was down nine starters most of the season. And the guys who replaced those starters were amazing. After the Arkansas Pie Bluff game, you, you saw that youth really step up. So I think that the anticipation from everything we've seen from Alabama A&M, Arkansas Pine Bluff, and Southern, I think that those fan bases are really looking forward to the fall to see you know, can they build off of what occurred in the, in, in the spring? So I think that those would be uh, the three headlines. And, and the fourth would be probably just seeing Deion Sanders and Jackson State and the publicity that the conference was able to get, uh, getting games moved to ESPN. But I think that that's also up there as well. So, yeah, I was uh, rapping. I was uh, saying that. Thanks, BJ, uh, for doing the show, man. We definitely got to get together probably later this summer in the preseason. Have a little preseason talk, man. Uh, really appreciate you for doing the show, man. Man, I appreciate you having me, man. Anytime you want me, man, just let me know. Trust me, I enjoy doing this talking ball. So, hey, it's a pleasure for me. Of course, of course. All right, Coach, we headed out the tunnel. It's time to get us going. All right, man, let's get them going. Success isn't without points of failure. It is with the persistence past the points of failure. In nature, you've never seen a bridge from one peak to the higher one near it. Whether you're on the climb to a peak, standing atop the peak, the descent into the valley, walking through the valley, or the ascent to something higher, you got to keep going. And with that said, get going. And that is this episode of the Yardball Podcast. I am your host, Lamar K. Jackson. Please say the K. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Please Say the K. Follow the podcast at Yardball Podcast on Instagram and Twitter, and shout out to my co-host. And I'm Tramel Jeffers, a.k.a. The Cheesehead. You can follow me on Instagram at pick underscore six and Twitter at trap underscore mail. 
And I'm Jamel Matthews. And you can follow me at, at Jamel Matthews on Twitter and Instagram.